Zechariah chapter 7. Zechariah chapter 7, continuing in our series in the book of Zechariah, prophesying to the people of Israel coming back from captivity to rebuild the temple. What an exciting time we've been having. Amen. Met a lot of people from Oakland that say they've been enjoying the messages as well. And God is just blessing, doing a wonderful thing. So I'm just excited about that. So make sure you guys say amen really loud so that they can know you believe in Jesus. Amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Zechariah chapter 7, today's message is to hell with religion. Amen. Let's see how long this one lasts up on the SUM sermon board. Let's see if I get in trouble for this or not. I may. I'll ask for forgiveness, but I'll still mean it. I I was thinking about saying, to a bad place where the devil's at, may religion go. But then it doesn't doesn't catch. You know, it doesn't have a catchy title. I'm, I'm sure that Chancellor and everybody else agrees. Hopefully they'll agree with the title, but they'll agree with the message. Obviously, I wouldn't preach it if it wasn't biblical. Okay, Zechariah chapter 7, to hell with religion. You're going to learn now that the Jewish people had some religious ways, and God rebuked them for it. You're going to learn that Christians over the last 2,000 years have had religious ways, and the Lord has rebuked us for it. And then you're going to learn specifically that right now you may have religious ways, and God may rebuke you for it. And so you're going to know where to crumble up and take your religious ways today. Amen? You can put a stamp, send it right back to the devil where it came from, smash that religious cow, drink it, get that nasty taste in your mouth so you'll never want to do it again. Amen? Because we don't want religion. We want Jesus. Amen? We don't want the stinky incense, the, the stinky sacrifice. We don't want all of the washings and all of that baloney that just wastes time. We want Jesus. Amen? So look at Zechariah chapter 7, verse 1. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kilzel. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer Ze- um, and Regamelech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets. Here was their question. Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month? as I have done for many years. Now let me just help you get a little history on what's going on here. What had happened was there was this man by the name of Gedelia in 2 Kings 25:25, And during the time of the Babylonian captivity, he was killed and murdered. And the Jewish people began to have a time of fasting in remembrance of Gedelia. So if you read about Gedalia, he's just a kind of like a righteous person who was trying to do what was right. He gets killed, and the Jews began to say, out of memory, out of remembrance of him, memory of him, we're going to fast on this certain day. So these guys right here, you can call them Cher for short, and Reggie. So Cher and Reggie come, uh, come asking, uh, what's up? You know, should we keep this festival, or this feast rather, uh, remembering this man who died. Should we keep doing it? Because obviously they had been doing it for the last 70 years in captivity. Now here is the answer. Verse 4. Then, then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. 
Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months of the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Come on, somebody. To hell with religion. You see, these people thought that they were doing something for God. They thought while they were having a pity-patty party remembering this dear old saint, that they thought God was looking down from heaven, shedding a little tear with them, and so happy that they were doing that. No, he asked the question, did you do it for me? And the obvious answer is no. And if they didn't do it for God, who would they do it for? Themselves. And humanism is the religion of Satanism. I'm going to say that again. Humanism is the religion of Satanism. Before there was ever the sacrificing of babies, the drinking of blood, the putting on of a goat's head with horns and pentagrams, it was a serpent in the garden telling Adam and Eve, you can become God. That's the heart of Satanism. It's man-centered. What can man do for himself? And as you find out, religion is just another form of humanism, which comes back to Satanism. And so, literally, the title is not really, you know, it's shocking, but it's not supposed to be something that you stretch your imagination to, to believe. No, it's actually true. When you put things in God's relationship when you put actions and rituals you're actually taking things from the devil and applying it to the things of god and it's not christianity it's not judaism it's not a relationship with the true god it's actually humanism and i'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but when we start talking about the things that people do in the name of god god is asking them back who are you doing it for come on somebody We need to do it for God if we do anything, number one. And then number two, we dare not add anything to what God is doing. Nothing more and nothing less. Nothing more and nothing less. Just what God said. Just what God said is good enough. Amen? He doesn't need our rituals on top of it. Okay, so he asked the question. Verse 6, and when you were eating, or or rather verse 5, and when you fasted these past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Now, verse 6, and when you were eating and drinking, were you just not feasting for yourselves? Because he was talking about their feast days, too, the times that they would feast. And the one that he, I uh, believe that he is talking about is Purim. Purim uh, and Hanukkah came sometime around this time period. And Hanukkah came because of the deliverance, or rather, excuse me, Hanukkah would have come later. Purim came during the time of Queen Esther being spared from Haman's uh, evil plan, and that was a time of feasting. And that probably has already happened during this time. It's, it, it's already occurred. And so they had made up an extra-biblical fast, which was for Gildella, and they made up an extra-biblical feast called Purim, P-U-R-I-M. And so what he's saying is, when you guys fasted, was it for me? No. When you guys were feasting, making up your own days, was it for me? No. Are these not, verse 7, the words of the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and again in the western foothills were settled? So he says, was I not telling you this before? 
Wasn't I telling you that your fasting was really only for yourself? And we're going to get to Isaiah 58 as our main text today. And that came before. When you fast, you do all of these things, but you neglect all these other things. I hate your fast. He would also say, I hate your burnt offerings. I hate everything you do. God was the true righteous hater. Amen? He was hating on them. He wasn't appreciating any of it. And it wasn't like he's so high-maintenance, so debutant-ish, or, you know, just such a, a, a little, you know, sensitive person. No, he had given them specific ways to do things, and they were not doing it anymore. But all they had was religion. And where should religion go, my friends? To hell with the devil. Back to where it came from. The heart of humanism saying, I won't give God my heart. I'll keep my heart for myself and do all these things for myself. Because God looks at the heart. Keep going. Verse 8. And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Listen. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly, they turned their backs and stopped up their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words of the Lord Almighty had been sent by His Spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. So God was dealing with them before the captivity, saying, hey, don't pay attention to this religion anymore because you forgot what it meant. Get back to the heart. Do justice. Take care of the poor. That's what Isaiah 58 is saying. But did they listen? No. They kept being wicked and going to church. And they thought just going to the synagogue, going and doing the things, that they, going to the temple, going and doing these things was going to make God happy. No, but God became angry with them. Verse 13, when I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen. Oh, that is a scary verse right there. If you don't listen to when God is calling you, he won't listen when you call him. You need to remember that, my friends. Just as we went to the five warnings of Hebrews in Sunday service, Uh, The warnings of Hebrews chapter 6 and 10 are serious to Christians who live in continual sin, but there is no more sacrifice for them. Do not play with the holy God, my friends. He's dealing with you. When he's speaking to you, he's dealing with you. He loves you as a father. He's disciplining you. Enjoy those times. Of course, you always want your daddy to tell you how much he loves you, bounce you on this knee. But there are some times your daddy has to say, get it in order. Why? Because he's warning you. He doesn't want you to go off the cliff. He's putting up the roadblock. Don't go this way. Because if you go that way, when you cry out, he won't hear you. God forbid that happened to anybody here. I scattered them with the whirlwind among the nations, verse 14, where they were strangers, the land was left so desolate behind them that no one could come or go. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. So today's message comes from these 15, uh, 14 verses right here, to hell with religion. And I kind of commented, commented as I went through, but I want to summarize it again. What was going on? Zachariah is trying to build the temple. He's getting real close to finishing up. These guys come, Cher and Reggie come up, and they're like, hey, should we keep this fast for Gedela that we had done for these last 70 years? And God begins to rebuke them and says, not only are you not supposed to keep these, you weren't even doing the other ones right that I commanded you from the time of Moses. And he said, I used to send you prophets to tell your people that, that I hated what you were doing, but you didn't listen. And so when calamity came, since you didn't listen to me, I didn't listen to you. Now, let me give you some of the things that did come up over time, even to the time of Jesus. 
the Talmud got developed during the time of captivity. These are all the extra biblical teachings. These are where the washings came from. The Pharisees and the Sadducees developed out of a preservation of the word. They began to, to wear their caps, grow their sideburns, began to put the phylacteries, uh, the Bibles, on their actual wrists and on their forehead. They began to bow and shake when they would pray. They began to make out of different uh, things, uh, traditions. They would have travel times where they would visit certain spots, and they began to develop this whole religion. And when Jesus came on the scene, he said, I hate your religion. Look at Matthew chapter, uh, Mark chapter 7. So if you look at it, was a Pharisee in his heart really a, a guy trying to do a bad thing? In his, in his mind, no, because what was he trying to do? He was trying to preserve the Jewish faith. Hanukkah comes from the time of the Maccabean revolt, celebrating that they got their liberty from the oppressive Hellenistic culture of the Greeks. Bar mitzvahs began to become popular, and for the female version of that, men, young men coming into adulthood, the washings and the ceremonies, the separating oneself from the culture they lived in. They didn't even sit and eat meals with other people. All of these things were written down in the Talmud, which is their commentator in extra-biblical beliefs. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 7. If you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Look what Jesus runs into. Start with verse 5. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Do they say to Jesus, how come your disciples don't live like Moses in the Bible? Moses in the Torah? No. What they say to Jesus is, why don't your disciples keep the traditions? Why don't they keep the traditions of the elders, the things we've recorded in the Talmud, the things that we've added onto the Bible, all of these things. And when they lost the temple, they made synagogues. And when they were in captivity, they got used to meeting in synagogues. So even though when they had rebuilt the temple, they had synagogues, and God never commanded worship in synagogues. So a synagogue had its own ritual, all of these rituals in synagogues, how you would read it, how you would sit down, where the women would sit, all of these things they made up, which had nothing to do with the temple worship that God commanded. So from the synagogue worship to their bar mitzvahs, to their Hanukkahs, to their Purims, to their fastings, to their washings, to their cleansings, they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, Jesus, why don't your disciples keep these traditions? And he replied, Isaiah was right, verse 6, when he prophesied about you hypocrites. You see that in your Bible, Davi? You need to stand up. Go get your Bible. Go get one in the back. Can't come to chapel without a Bible looking at me like you don't know what it says. What does it say there, Elizabeth? Hypocrites. What does he call them? Come on, say it on the count of three like you mean it. One, two, three. Hypocrites. Hypocrites and we know that comes from the Greek word to act and to pretend. He said, Isaiah was right about you when he talked about you hypocrites. So why didn't God give him a standing applause? Oh, you've done all of these wonderful things. You've become so awesome. You know, you just added a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't think of it, but you thought of it. You're so awesome. 
I didn't think about how you should wash your hands all the time. I didn't think about bar mitzvah. I didn't think about a Hanukkah. I'm so glad you came up with it. Just do it. Is that what God was like? Just like some effeminate designer on one of those, you know, TV shows, you know, just a little little lavender here. Okay, you want to splash a little peach? That's okay. A little purple, a little, little, yes, let's just do it all. Come on, you go, girl. Is that how Jesus was? Is that how God was? Sure, you want a little velvet, you want a little, you want a little tradition, I'll take it all. It just looks so good, marvelous. No, God is holy. And He's very masculine. Nothing against women, but He's masculine. He, it's, it's His way or the highway. It's, it's not, let's collaborate on this together. Let's kind of, I'll do my thing, you do your thing, we'll call it Christianity. No! He said they were hypocrites. They were pretenders. And I could even imagine them standing up going, how are we hypocrites? We say we fast and we fast. We say we do this and we do this. How, how, how are we hypocrites? Hypocrites say one thing and do another. But what he was calling them hypocrite, as you're going to see, the, the very heart of a hypocrite is saying, I love God and I do this for him, but really they were doing it for themselves. You see, that's the hypocrite. They said, I'm washing for God. I'm doing bar mitzvahs for God. I'm doing this for God. And God is saying, no, 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 you're not. Look at it. He said in verse 6, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. They, their teachings are but rules taught by men. Look at what he says. Come on, somebody, to hell with religion. I love what Jesus says. Verse 8, you have to let, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. You have got to let them go and hold on to God. And I like how he says it in verse 9. He said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And he goes on to talk about Corbin and how uh, children would get out of taking care of their elderly parents because they said that they were called of God. My friends, if it happened to the Jews, it can happen to us. If it happened to people who had the law of God, this is where Paul comes from in Romans. He's saying, if it could happen to them, it could happen to you. Don't you get so boastful as a Gentile being grafted in into the vine of God? Because if God was severe with the Jews and cut them out so you could come in, man, you better stand by faith and obedience, otherwise you'll get cut out. So if it happened to them, it could happen to us. Well, let's... Get a little bit of us here. What happened after Jesus left? After he rebukes these Pharisees? After he tells them, don't do Hanukkah. Don't do Purim. Don't do these washings. Don't do these bar mitzvahs. Don't do all of these things your way. Well, last disciple, John the Apostle, died around 90 AD with about 100 years. The teaching of baptism of infants came to be popular in the church. Then around 300 A.D., prayers for the dead. Then around 320 A.D., priests began to dress differently than ordinary people. I have the history right here of all the Roman Catholic doctrines. We set up a date for Easter when Jesus never told us, do one day. God never gave us Christian holidays. I have no problem with people saying there's a holy day 
Holy Day, holidays, where it comes from. But Jesus never gave us those days like he did in the Old Testament. Celebrate the Passover on this day. There was never a day you celebrate Easter, so we added that on. 70, uh, 379 A.D., prayer to Mary. Mary got added in there. Well, you know, I mean, if Jesus was the man, then Mary had to be the woman. And so what they did is they started putting in all these pagan concepts of the mother god, the mother goddess. She's the mother goddess. Like Diana, uh, uh, Diana uh, of the Ephesians. That, you know, we need to worship her now. We need to give her honor. And by the way, those of you who have a, a limited understanding of church history, Roman Catholicism did not become what it was, is known today as until around the 6th, 7th century, around 500, 600 A.D. So don't get in your mind that it just went from the apostles to Roman Catholicism. What I want you to understand is it's just a little leaven here and there. Good people, you know, sitting around in rooms like this. Well, you know, if the dead are already up in heaven and, and Jesus is in heaven, why can't we pray to them because they're there with him too? See, it just made sense. Because they're still alive and, and they might be closer to Jesus than we are, obviously. So I'm going to pray to St. Peter now that he'll talk to Jesus on my behalf. Do you see how it just good people begin to turn the things of God into the traditions of men? 379, the prayer to Mary begins. Around 4.30, Mary gets the term mother of God. Now she's not just the vessel from which God comes, but now she's actually called the mother of God. 5.19, the celebration of Lent, which means you're going to have a Mardi Gras, a Fat Tuesday, and then an Ash Wednesday. They began to incorporate paganism and gluttony with an idea of aestheticism. So get it all out now and then sacrifice then. So Lent came to be used. Around 600 A.D., purgatory began to be taught. Well, God couldn't send everybody to hell. What happens to those who have never heard about him? There has to be a chance for them to change. But yet they need to be purged. So they made this place between heaven and hell where now if you weren't a bad person but yet you weren't a good person, you could still be saved, but yet you would have to be punished and purged in some way. Purgatory, purging, to be purged. So still the motivation was to live for God. You don't want to be purged, but yet if you didn't live right, there was a chance for you. A little bit after that, 600 A.D., Latin began to be used in worship. Did the people at that time speak Latin in 600 A.D.? Absolutely not. Latin would go back to the time of the Roman soldiers of the Roman kingdom. Now in 600 A.D., when English and forms of German and these dramatic languages are being used by the common man, the Catholic Church now takes Latin and implements it into their services. So the average person is sitting there in services and can't even understand what the thing's about. In around 607 A.D., the first pope is declared the universal bishop of all the churches. And that's why I say around that time between 500 and 600 A.D., the Catholic Church really takes power. Because then you have a pope, you have these Latin services, you have a Mary being called Mother God, and then you have these saints being worshipped. That, to me, symbolizes the Roman Catholic Church and some of their doctrines like purgatory and infant baptism. 
So that's why I say don't have a naive view that it just goes, you know, like John the Apostle breathed his last breath, and then the Pope's like, ta-da, here I am. No, there was about 500 years of slight changes, slight compromise, slight adding of the traditions of men. And if you talk to the rocket scientists, it's just a millimeter off. If you just aim that rocket ship, you aim that shuttle just a millimeter off, you will miss the entire planet. And that's why the Bible says a little leaven will leaven the whole loaf. Then after you get the Pope involved, I mean, the next doctrines for the hundred years are just kissing the Pope, you know, honoring him with all of these different ways, the way he'll dress. So from 600 to 700 A.D. is all these honors for the Pope. 1000 A.D., holy water. 998 A.D., this is good to remember, Good Friday was brought up. And then Friday from that point on would always be fish only, not eating meat. Holy water was made in 1000 A.D., so now the water becomes holy. Penance, penance in 1022 A.D., which now you, could, you just couldn't be forgiven. Now it's to be forgiven, do X, Y, and Z. Pray these prayers, crawl this way to the altar every week when you come to service. And you still see that in Latin American countries. They'll crawl up to the mountain where a saint is just to kiss his feet to receive forgiveness. Penance. Celibacy for the priests and bishops, 1079 A.D. The Rosary, 1090 A.D. Indulgences, 1190 A.D., where now if you've sinned, you can pay the priest. Hey, I want to be forgiven. How much does it cost? Indulgences, the Mass becoming the official service for all the Catholics, 1215 A.D., the apocryphal literature, extra books of the Bible that come from the Old Testament times, like the Maccabees, that the Jewish people themselves only considered history, now a part of the Roman Catholic Church, 1500 A.D. Then you have us with the Great Reformation, the Protestants breaking away from all of this, and then you have the Inquisition where they begin to kill us in the name of God to purge society from us. Torture was allowed during that same time from the 1400s to the 1600s. And I have doctrines all the way up here to 1996, which is now Catholics believe in evolution. John Paul II said we believe in evolution, that God used it. If you want to know when Mary was believed to ascend to heaven, it was 1950 A.D. And in 1954 A.D., they believed she was born a virgin. So for Jesus to be born a virgin, Mary had to be born a virgin. Well, then if you think about it, then why did Mary's mother have to be born a virgin all the way back for eternity? So they just stopped at Mary. But that wasn't decided until the 50s. So they just added on. They're like, hey, where do you think Mary went when she died? Well, we think she ascended to heaven. And then how do you think she was as a person? Well, we also believe she was sinless. Somebody say, Lord, help us. Now go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And let's see if Paul prophesied about this, and then it's about ready to get real personal to you. Excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3. Chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, 
unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. How many know that's some devilish behavior right there? How many know that's full of the devil? How many know everything we just mentioned right there needs to go to hell with the devil right now? Needs to go back to the pit. How many know that's evil stuff right there? But I want to tell you how it comes in the form of. Which shape it takes, what it looks like. Verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power have nothing to do with them. So how do these God-haters look? How do these rebellious people look? How do these brutal, rash people look? Do they look like Marilyn Manson? No, they look like godly people. Come on, you all need to catch that right there. I said to hell with religion. Why? Because they look like godly people. They Look like they are Christians. And this was written around 70 A.D. Did this happen in the Roman Catholic Church over the next five, six, seven hundred years up until the Reformation, even to the 1500s? Did the Catholic Church begin to get in cahoots with the governments of their day, oppress the people, become rash and conceited? Did they begin to abuse the people? Did they begin to love the power of this world, become greedy and have selfish ambition? Did they sell out for ten shekels and a shirt just to get all that they could? Yes, they did. And the whole time they were doing the inquisitions, the whole time they were torturing people, the whole time they were taking money from the poor people of the land, they were doing it in the name of God. They were doing it in the name of God. And all that you see right now with Islam, all that you see with Hinduism, all the evils that comes from man's religion, all does it for God. But God says, I hate it. God says, I'm angry with it. If he was angry with the Jewish form of religion, how much more do you think he's angry with the Islamic form of religion, with the Hindu form of religion that forms classism and forms racism and oppresses people and teaches idolatry? Come on, somebody. How much more worse do you think he hated in the name of his son, Jesus? People were abused and raped and murdered and pillaged in the Dark Ages. And that's why we protest the Catholic Church. We protest them. And some of us consider them to be the great whore of Babylon. Because they took the sacred things of God and they made it poison to this world. I mean, it's one thing to just be wrong, but it's another thing to pretend you're right. It's one thing for, you, for somebody to be a Hitler but then to be a Hitler and say, I'm doing it for Jesus, is another thing. He says, they do all of this in the last days, but they deny its power. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. My friends, the message now needs to get personal to us. That we don't let our religion Get in the way of us serving God. And I want to tell you about some of the things that have become religious to the Protestants. Number one, 
Just believing good doctrine doesn't make you saved. Because the Protestants have taught, oh, if you believe in the Bible, if you believe in Jesus, you're evangelical, you're saved. That doesn't mean you're saved, my friends. How many people you go to in the South? I go to church. I go to church. I was baptized. That is a lie. Just because you sing in the choir, just because you've been baptized, just because your great-grandfather all the way down to your father have been a pastor, doesn't mean you're saved. You're saved when you're born again. And then what about radicals like us? What do we teach? We teach that if you pray, if you witness, if you read your Bible and you fast, you're a Christian. And that is not true either, my friends. Of course, we teach all of those things. But my friends, you can pray and fast and read your Bible and witness and still be a Jehovah Witness and still be a Mormon. Just doing good works will not save you. It's not about, did I do this? Did I do that? Am I fitting in with the crowd? And then put our order of services as number three. Number one is our idea. If you just believe what we believe, you're going to heaven. Number two is if you do good things, you're saved. And then number three, if you come to our services, where did the Bible ever say you had to worship for an hour, a half hour, sing two fast songs, two slow ones, have a special, then an offering, then a sermon, then an altar call? That's never in the Bible. Now you might say, Pastor, is all tradition bad? No, all tradition is not bad because even Paul said, keep the traditions that I've shown you. But what I'm trying to get you to understand is if you take that tradition for one millisecond out of its place, then you have become an idol worshiper. You know, all this stage here is to do is to just let me step on it so I can be right here. But if I look at this stage like it's some holy altar of God and we've got to sprinkle it with oil and we've got to do all that. My friends, that is a lie. This wood and this carpet is no different than the wood and the carpet in a bar. We are not serving God with things made of hands anymore, my friends. Don't get so caught up. Yes, we respect it. Yes, we call this brick and all of this. We don't say, well, to hell with Metso praise and yeah, tear it down. No, we respect it, we honor it, but it never becomes our relationship with God. Never! How about number four, our altar calls? Altar calls, if I can pronounce it right. We get so addicted to altar calls. Well, if you come to this altar call, you'll be saved. If you come here and say this prayer, the sinner's prayer, put that right next to altar call. If you come and never in the Bible where there's a sinner's prayer, pray this after me. Pray this. No, pray your own prayer before a holy God. We just we get people like as if it's a Catholic confessional. Come up here, tell us what you're dealing with. Let's pray for you. My friends, you need to learn how to have a time alone with God. Now, once again, should our traditions, at least in this church and in SU and Bible College, be from the Bible? Yes. And so... We're not saying, once again, we can't have altar calls and you can't teach somebody how to pray. But I'm saying you better be careful of how you look at that. Just because somebody comes forward and says, I prayed a prayer, that does not make them safe. No more than I'm a chicken in a doghouse. Come on. 
You need to test their life. You need to make them a disciple. You need to encourage them from their profession. Yes, you're saved by your profession. Yes, you are. But now you need to live it and demonstrate it. And we need to teach our congregations. It's just not here on Sunday or Wednesday or Friday or whatever. It's not just coming up here to this sacred place where you pray and magically you change. No, it happens right when you sin. Altar calls happen right when you sin. You're at school. You say something you shouldn't have, Billy. You get on your knees and you ask Christ to forgive you. Had an awesome man by the name of Sergio Scatolini who wrote the book, The Fire of His Holiness, from the Argentine Revival, tell me that when he was struggling with lust and in that second look that men deal with, he said God told him every time you do it, you hit your knees wherever you are and repent to God. Now, of course, we can make that a religious tradition, but to him that was a divine thing because it was between him and God. See, this relationship is spirit-led between you and God, based on the Word and discipleship and mentorship. And so he would be in the airport. You'd catch that second look, and the Lord would convict him. Boom, right there. Lord, help me. Change my ways. See, we need to teach people that God is sacred and holy everywhere, that we are the temple of God. Hallelujah. Thank God for a good introduction. If you're ready for the lesson, say amen. Amen. Praise God. Go now to Isaiah 58 because we are supposed to do some things. The people in Zechariah's day asked him, should we come and uh, fast and do these things we've been doing? And God says, no, because even the things I commanded to do, you lost the meaning of. Do justice. Show compassion. Have love in your heart. If I have time, I'll go to James, but I'll quote it now. He said, this is true and undefiled religion. To take care of orphans and widows and to keep oneself unpolluted from sin. That is what we're here to do. That's that simple. Love God, love people. If you love God, you'll live holy. That's how you demonstrate it, right? So you keep yourself unpolluted from the evil of this world. And then if you love people, what do you do? You take care of them in their greatest times of need. Isaiah 58 teaches you what true fasting is. And we love to fast, and we love to be righteous and go after God. So this is what it is. This is what he referred those people back to, Cher and Reggie. This is what he was referring them back to. And it's good for, if it was good for them, it's good for us. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1. Be quiet and whisper. Be like the Muslims who come and just say little short prayers on their knees. Is that what it says? Be like the Buddhist monks who have little prayer beads and say little mantras. One, two, three. Say those three words together. One, two, three. Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. How am I doing, church? Am I doing okay this morning? Am I preaching like how they preach? Praise God. Hallelujah. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. You see, I just can't shout how good you are. I've got to shout about the things we've messed up in. And to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. They say, they say, we have fasted. They say, you have not seen us. We have humbled ourselves and you do not notice. Now here's the rebuke. Yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. 
your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Come on, help us, Lord. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him, and not to turn away you from your own flesh and blood? Hallelujah. Then, glory to God, your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will come quickly. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your reward your rear guard then you will call and the Lord will answer you will cry out and he will say here I am how many want to cry out and be able to hear the Lord say here I am I can hear Elizabeth I can hear Sue Ellen I can hear S-U-M I can hear Metro Praise why? because we got on God's agenda a relationship with him we cast off religion and when we cry out he hears us glory to God righteousness before you glory behind you shining everywhere you go like the noonday sun how many want some light to break forth in dark places how many want light to break forth in your ministries light to break forth on the streets light to break forth into people's lives light to come and shatter the darkness and let people see who God is This is what you do. It's right here. Right here. So simple, my friends. Don't miss it. Don't become so religious as a Protestant, Spirit-filled, Pentecostal believer that you miss what God asked. He didn't just say, come and believe in this. Have your services Just do these couple of good works. Come to these altar calls. Say these prayers. Speak in tongues this amount of time. No, he says, it's got to change who you are on the inside so it can change your world on the outside. You know when you've touched heaven when you reach out and touch and change earth. I'm going to say that again. You know the real deal when people have really touched heaven because when they reach out and touch earth, it changes. Touching heaven, changing earth. You know that somebody has a close walk with God, not just because of how loud they shout, how high they jump, how long they pray. I've met people that pray for a long time, don't do anything bad, and they're the meanest, orneriest uh, people I've ever met, don't even want to be around them, ain't got no fruit. Their religion produces nothing. They're like some monk up in a hill somewhere talking about what they don't do, telling everybody what not to do. They have produced no fruit. They have no love or compassion. See, people can tell me all day long, Pastor, you're kind of holy. Pastor, you live right. Pastor, you kind of preach a message that convicts people. Yeah, but you know what? We go to the streets. We take it to the hurting. 
We love people. We don't preach it to condemn them to build ourselves up or to preach some religious code of dress and haircuts and earrings and what you can or can't eat on Friday. Our motivation of holiness is so we might see God. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So let's go through these things that Isaiah commanded us to do. But the people didn't do, and that's why they went into captivity. And even coming back out of captivity, they still had some of those old religious cobwebs on them that needed to be shaken off and to be loosed from them. And even in the time of Christ, they got them back on themselves with the Pharisaic religion. And after 2,000 years of Christian history, I believe that even you and I might have a few of those religious cobwebs on us today. As spiritual spiritual as they may sound, as deep, brother, as they may look, they make God angry because it's, it's not going back to this. Your relationship with God should produce this. These things I'm about ready to mention to you. Number one, your fasting, your praying, your relationship with God should be more than just religious duty, number one. In verses 4 to 5, he says, what, you bow your head, you don't eat, you wear, you wear sackcloth? Is that it? That's it? That's all you do? It's got to be more than that. What, you pray for an hour? What, you got an egg timer there? You hit it? You wrote in your prayer journal? What, you come to worship service? Is that it? It's got to be personal. It's got to be on the inside. Number two. It's got to loose people from their bondage. You see, humanism is all about the human. It's all about I. It's about myself. I'm going on this spiritual 40-day path so I can explore the deep treasures of God. I'm the Jacques Cousteau of the spiritual realm. I'm going deep, brother. Have you discipled anybody? No, but I'm deep. Your deepness means nothing. We used to say you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good, but that's actually an offense to heaven. Because if you're really heavenly minded, you'll be so earthly good. You'll care about it. Look at Jesus. Jesus was the most normal Christian. And did he walk around interpreting the four horsemen? Did he go around going, guys, come on, let me tell you what Isaiah was really to our Ezekiel was seeing the wheel within the wheel. See, really that wheel was this and that and the purple sapphire, it meant this. Was Jesus walking around talking like that? Like trying to convince everybody how deep he was? We don't even see him initiating the conversation about prayer until somebody asks him. Why? Because in his mind, if you love God, you're going to want to pray. You don't need nobody to tell you that. Just pray. Talk to him. He's God. He's a person. Talk to him. I've never had to have a a person come to me when they're in love and say, should I talk to the girlfriend that I'm in love with or not? I'm kind of confused. It's always the opposite. Stop talking to them. Let them breathe, okay? Decompress. Separate. Okay? It's always the, that's the way it is. It's the same way with Nancy and I. Like three, four in the morning. Just 
coffee houses. Why? Because we loved each other. Nobody had to tell me, talk to her. Jesus doesn't even talk to Hey, guys, I want you to pray like this. No, he just goes out and does it. It's not religion to him. And he doesn't even do it during their times of prayer. Like the Muslims copied from the Jews, they had three sets of times of prayer. He doesn't even do it. He just prays whatever he wants. Gets alone by himself and prays. Goes up to this mountain and prays. Gets up early and prays. Tries to skip a meal and pray, but they pull him out to do more miracles. He can't pray. He just prays everywhere. And then the disciples finally ask him, how do you pray? What's going on? Teach us to do that. And then he just probably takes one of his prayers. That's meant to be kind of like an exercise routine. Do these things. Honor God. Pray for His kingdom to come. And pray like this. But right before He teaches them that, He says, don't pray repetitious, meaningless prayers. And so what's the first thing the Christian church does? Takes His prayer that came out of a relationship and now makes it a religious prayer. And people pray our Father with no heart for the Father. He said, you guys missed it. I just told you not to pray repetitive prayers. Did you want to know how I talk to God? I pray like this. Not repeat my prayer. That's my prayer. He says, this is how I pray. You never hear the Lord's prayer ever repeated throughout the entire Gospels or the book of Acts. And now people want to be so spiritual and pray. And every time they pray, they've missed the point. So number one, it can't just be about your religion. Number two, it has to lose people. And number three, it has to draw you closer to God. What is described in verses 8 on downward to verse 12, if I have time to rebuild the ancient ruins, Lord help me. I might have to read that. In closing, but it talks about you get close to God and you just care about what He cares about. So number one, it's more than just I did my prayer time. No, when, when I'm going today to go snowboarding and I'm in that car for three hours, I'll pray maybe five, ten minutes, then do something else, pray for a half hour, then listen to Scripture. It just flows. You see, the reason why we teach new believers how to discipline their life and how we're teaching SUM students how to keep prayer devotions is just so that you can know how to do it when it's time to do it. But that doesn't mean you have to do it every time in your Christian life. You don't have to do religious things to be close to God. You know, as a matter of fact, the people that I have met that have had the closest relationship to God, I have not been able to put my finger on their method. It's always the ones that are not as close to God that have these strict methods that just make you feel confined. When I think about, once again, those brothers from Argentina who were seeing the dead raised in their country and came to our country and seeing demons cast out. And I think I've told the story to you, but not to those listening so everyone can hear it. I'll repeat it. So I went to Carlos Nicandia, the leader of the Great Revival, preaching to soccer stadiums, and he himself was just a businessman who got saved. And what's my first question I want to ask him? How long do you pray, brother? Tell me, man. Is it an hour? Because at that time I was praying three hours every day. So I was like, you know what? I have never seen what you've seen, so you've got to be praying at least six hours. Because, I mean, i got about this much power, but you got that much power, and I've been praying this much, so you must be doubling up on prayer, man. Isn't that just the way we think? I mean, how much are you praying? And I say that to the missionary. 
And he says, he is not going to understand that they don't think like the way you do. I said, you got to ask. And I'm so glad he did ask him, but he didn't even want to ask him. He said, he's not going to understand what you're asking. So I said, just ask him. So he says in Spanish, and I, and, and I hear Carlos and Nicandia answer him back, and he's just kind of like talking. He's pointing here, and he's pointing there. He's pointing. He's getting all animated. And then the interpreter says, this is what he said. I pray on the plane. I pray when I'm at my house. I pray with my family. I pray in the car. I pray without ceasing. And I just, it just kind of set on me. It was like, I'm reducing my prayer time to this hour, three hours. But yet, he may not even do that back to back that long, but yet he'll do it his whole day. He's closer to God than I am. And I'm not saying signs and wonders means you're closer to God. I'm just saying I knew the man has served the Lord in a closer way than I have. He's more mature. I guess that's what I mean. But he had the fruit of it as well. And I just got it. It's like, he's just close to God. He just walks with the Lord. When he has free time, he makes more time with God. When he's on a plane, he'll close his eyes and he'll do that. I was hearing the story of another man that was in the car with an apostle that was an older older gentleman. And they got in the car and the, the older gentleman just closed his eyes and just started moving his lips. And the, and the pastor asked him, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying for our churches around the world. Just in that commute, he said, I've got five minutes. I'm going to lift up Nigeria. God, be with them today. You know what they're going through. You know what the pastors need, God. I'm thinking about them, and I'm lifting them up to you. Doesn't that kind of sound like what Paul would be like? And I'm not just saying like so wacky, like Paul's like this. You're like, Paul, what's going on? I'm in the seventh heaven praying for Mexico right now. I see a vision. No, I don't, I don't see them being like, I just see it flowing, just like Jesus. You never see those awkward, I'm more spiritual moments than you with Jesus. It's always just, Jesus is so close to God, everybody wants it. Because it's not religion. And it reaches out and it touches people's lives. It sets them free. I'm reminded of Heidi Baker, one of our favorites around here. You know, we read her books, Bill Johnson as well. The same thing. He said God told him for a year not to ask for anything in his prayer closet. But just worship. And he said he saw more answers to prayer than he ever saw in his whole life. Why? Because God already knows. And obviously he asked it sometime. I mean, think about it. You're a pastor. You're, just imagine like you're me. You're, you're sitting at your desk. You get a call. The van just broke down. We need $20,000. And in your heart you say, God, we need that. Wasn't that, wasn't that the prayer? That was it. Does, he, does, it, does the pastor, and you've got to learn this, does the pastor have to now go on his knees and go, oh, dear God, Woo, oh, Lord, we, we need a van, Jesus. We need a van. We need enough. We need 25. Like as if like the more you say it, the more you cry it, the more God is impressed. Oh, really? I didn't understand. But now I know it's $20,000. Oh, angels, do we got that up here? We gotta borrow it. Oh my! What are we gonna do? That's that. That was all it took. Oh God, you know we need that. That that. See, Bill Johnson began to understand when a need came up, he just gave it to God, taken care of. Taken care of. So now the rest of his time with God, just worship, just love on him, just lay out in his presence, just drink, drink, drink in his love for us, because that's relationship. Come on, somebody. And I'm sure that there's times in his life where he does need to get on his knees and, and, and cry out. That's okay. 
But I don't see them being pity patty parties. Even Jesus at his weakest moment said, if there's any other way, take this from me. Because he's about ready to suffer unto death. Now let's not take that example and make it parabolic for you needing a new car. Well, just like how Jesus prayed for that, I'm praying for a new car. No, that is exactly the context it belongs in. You are ready to die. You are in jail. The persecutors are coming to execute you. And you're saying, dear God, I would like to see my family one more time. I would like to avoid this immense pain that I'm about ready to go through being set on fire in front of the public arena out here. See, that's the only time you ever see him talk like that. Just, is there any other way? No? Okay, I'm going. Other than that, well, how does he act? He just acts in confidence. I know God. God knows me. That's my father. I can have a relationship with him. Whenever a need comes up, I trust him in his hands. It's in his hands, and I go out and I live a productive life for him. In closing, would you stand up with me now? In closing, and turn with me back to Zechariah. And I want to give you a few hints or a few points on how to help people. You can just write them down. I just want you to stretch out. You standing will help me end a little early here. Zechariah chapter 7 kind of repeats exactly what Isaiah 58 said. It says in verse 9, and minister justice. So what else can you do? You can do justice. Treat people fair. Be fair in your ministry. Be fair to people on the job. Be known as a fair person. When you vote, vote for justice. When you get involved in politics, do it for justice. Of course, you know we affirm the life of the unborn. That's why a lot of people say, well, why do you vote for so-and-so? He might do all these other things wrong. Because there is no comparison to the slaughter on unborn children, to any war we've ever been in. Over 50 million. Do justice. Live your life according to justice. Number two, be merciful. Be merciful to brothers and sisters, to each other, as it says here, and be merciful to the world. Just be a person dripping with mercy. If you make a mistake, say you're sorry. If you see somebody else in a mistake, correct them, but let them say they're sorry as well. Don't just be so hard on them that they can't say they're sorry. Have you ever been in an argument like that where you can see the person is wrong, but you're not letting up on them? Because you don't even want them to admit they're wrong and make it right. You want them to stay wrong. I know you and I can remember those times we've treated people like that. The person that's merciful is only doing it for their benefit. So when they finally get to see that they're wrong, the, the, the other person who's pointing out says, man, that's awesome. You saw it. Praise God. Just move on. It's over. I don't need to stay on it. I don't need to become your mentor, your sensei. Okay? When you're dealing with peers, my biggest pet peeve is when we deal with peers, how people try to be over us. Don't treat each other like you guys are all peers. So like when I get around pastors and I'm a peer with them and they see a weakness in my life, okay, thanks, brother, we're good. Now we're back to even again, okay? You're not my daddy now. You don't see like this, you know, you just lording over me now. No, it's okay. You saw, you saw I was a little off, good. We're back to normal. I'm going to correct you too, okay? This is how we live. I don't want to see you guys doing that here where one thinks I'm better than you. Well, I see that Davi struggles in this area. Well, I see Josh, so I'm just going to always come to him. No, Josh should be able to come to you. It should be an equal giving and taking among your peers. Unless somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know, I really admire your walk with God, and I need you to mentor me. Other than that, when it comes to your peers, you guys are peers. 
And you respect each other as peers. You each can hear from God equally. Amen? Just wanted to get that off my chest. I feel much better now. Don't oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. What does that mean? Just take care of the poor and the hurting. Where's today's poor and hurting today? The inner city, the west side. How about the alien? It doesn't mean, you know, Star Trek alien. It means alien as we would say it today, alien. How do you treat the people of different cultures here? You know? How do we treat the people who don't have anything? How do we treat the visitors in this land? See, you've got to love people. Help the people in the inner city. Help those that are struggling for jobs and finances. And that's what the church does. When people need help, we give it to them. We go out and offer help to the community. Offer free after-school program. Free English as a second language. Do you see where that comes from? And lastly, it says, In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. Don't think you're better than somebody else. Don't think wrongly of somebody else. Listen to me. In ministry, people will hurt you. But never wish their pain and their fall. Never. There has been people since I've been in Chicago that have doubted me, haven't wanted to be in relationship with me, have said things about me, and I pray for them to be blessed every day. Or as often as I can remember. Lord, don't want to lie. (laughs) I haven't done it 365 times, okay? I'm sorry. Every time I think about them, I say, Lord, bless them. Why? Because I don't want to hear them fall. And I remember one situation, you know, I was hearing that things weren't going well for them. And I was hurt. I was hurt. Because we're here for God. They're here for God. Even if they hurt me and they don't really know what they're doing, the bottom line is I know that they're there for God. And I don't want them to fail because who's the accuser of the brethren? The devil's the accuser of the brethren. I remember being in SUM and, you know, you would hear students would fall and sometimes people would be like rejoicing like that was God's judgment. I agree it was God's judgment. But, man, that doesn't feel good. I knew there were some wacky people in my hometown, but when I saw that guy, as I've told you before, he was caught in adultery. I didn't say, well, that's how I knew Pastor Tom really was. Yeah, I'm right. I was proven right on that. I was broken. Like, man, pastor who people looked up to fell. See, don't think evil of each other. You may put your Bibles down. Uh, Leilani, will you come in on the keyboard, please, in closing? I want to give you guys some just practical things to pray for right now as we get ready to close out. So often, people like us who are radical, we don't seem to see ourselves as being religious. But as you are in the ministry for a season and a time, God will start telling you things that, you're doing are religious. And where does religion come from? It doesn't just come from Satan wants you to go to hell. No. It comes from something good that you're actually doing to honor God, but he didn't ask for it. So take, for example, there was a season when Ishmael felt to take a flag off of a wall, and now from that point on we wave the flags of nations before God. But play this out 50 years should the Lord tarry. 75 years. Couldn't you see that just becoming religious? You walk into our church, now it's like a Las Vegas show. People are waving flags. They're dancing and kicking. And then like, here's the Mexico flag. And it's just like, what? Where did that come from? It wasn't a Las Vegas show. What it was is it was a heart crying out to God. You see, that could become religion. The same thing with your personal prayer life. 
You could say, God told me to wake up at 5 in the morning and pray. And I'm supposed to pray every morning at 5 in the morning. And then all of a sudden, two years go by, and it's just like 5 in the morning, I'm praying. And 8 at night, when you're really up, what are you doing? You're hanging out with your friends. And you feel this little conviction. Man, go ahead and pray. No, no, I prayed at 5 in the morning. I'm good. You see how that becomes religion? Because God's saying, what you're giving me now is old. Give me your 8 o'clock now. Give me your 7 o'clock. Give me your Friday night. Give me something that shows that you're sacrificing to be here. We having issues with the keyboard? Just keep working on it, but thank you, brother. I want to say this in closing as an angle for us to pray. I would be more happy as a pastor, as a director, and this is not only for you, because when I speak to you, I'm speaking to all the students, for you to not always pray an hour, for you to always not fast, for you to always not read five chapters in the Bible, but you get close to God and demonstrate this, than if you did all of that religiously and you didn't have this. I'm not saying it always has to be an either or. I'm just saying I would rather have this than the other. And I'm telling you, I've met people like that. One of the pastors that I love the most, Pastor Grogan, has a great family, both of his kids in ministry. He's, he was doing a lesson on the family and family devotions, and it felt so liberating when he said this to me. He said, you know what? It's okay if you don't have family devotions every day. It's okay even if you don't have it every week. But when you have it, if God shows up and it's real, then it's good. He said, because some families you feel bad if you missed one day of devotion or you didn't do it, and now everybody's going to hell and you, you think you're religious and all, you know, you're doing something. But he said, I'll just rather when you do sit down as a family, you feel close to God and you're getting closer. And listen to me. You're not talking to a guy who doesn't live with discipline in his life, okay? You're talking to a guy who doesn't celebrate Christmas, didn't watch movies for eight years, has consistently prayed an hour, spent two hours with the Lord every day since he's been saved, and wouldn't go to bed in Bible college till I did, okay? I'm not coming from this liberal, I'm just flowing in the wind attitude. The things I'm telling you, even the fact that I had to preface with what I just told you, is trying to tell you, for guys like us, us, we can miss it. We can think in our three-hour prayer meeting that we're somehow like, I started off here in that beginning of the three hours and God was there, and then now after three hours I'm closer. But that is not true. That is not true. You were close to God when you woke up if your heart was right. And you can't get any closer. He's, in, he's surrounding you. You can have less of you in the way, and prayer can help less of you get, you know, help more of you get out the way. But you're close. So let's get some balance in our lives today. And to hell with religion. Amen? To hell with it. God doesn't want it anyway. What He wants is a heartfelt relationship. And Galatians says it this way. As we get ready to pray, I want to read what Galatians says. Galatians chapter 5 on the deeds of the flesh. If you've ever read it, at the end is the most important part. More than the fruit and more than the deeds. Galatians 5 says this. Chapter 5, verse 25. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So let's make some time to pray at this altar. Not religiously, but relationally. Thank you, my brother. Let her just do it. Thank you. And let's ask God to shake off some of those things that may be a little dusty. Some things that might have gotten a little old in your life. Some things that might be there just because everybody else does it and you don't know why you're even doing it. Now there are things that you're going to have to do in school that we're asking you to do to discipline yourself, which is a good thing. So we're not having, I don't want to hear you come up from your knees. I don't need to keep my prayer journal anymore, Pastor. God delivered me from the prayer journal. No, you're, you're learning that right now, and God appreciates your discipline, and He's going to judge us whether or not that was right or wrong. But I'm talking about all those little things. Do you witness because you really love to witness, or are you just going out? When you're reading your Bible, are you just reading your assignments? Or can you just sit back and read some random scripture like Zephaniah, just be blessed, and be like, oh, that's awesome, Zephaniah. Zephaniah blessed me this morning. When you come to church, are you just interacting with a group of people that are doing one thing, kind of like peer pressure, everybody's doing this, so I do this? And now that you're a leader, you know when to say amen, you know when to cry, you know when to do all those things? Come on, let's get back to our first love today. Let's get back to what Tisa Miller said when she was in our church, taking walks on the beach with Jesus. Come on, let's just get back to that where you can just take a walk on the beach with Jesus. You can just take a walk around your neighborhood with the Lord. You can, you can just get intimate again. Hallelujah. Come on, can I go snowboarding with you, Lord, today? Can I spend time with you in the car ride? Can I enjoy a day of rest with you? Can the students today take some time off and put a iPod in uh, their favorite worship song and just close their eyes in a, on a hacky a beanbag, whatever we have here, relax and just get close to you for five minutes, Lord. Come on, Jesus, expose areas of our life that are just religion. 